have the privilege of sharing the mess, the scripture this morning that we are going to be looking at. This is, no, I, that was a mis, misspeak on my part. I do not want to share this message, especially this morning. Um, Judges is the book we are in for this series, and it can get a little crazy at times. So um, I ask you to please, please bear with me as I read this. Um, you will see why here in just a few verses. So we are in Judges chapter 3, and I'm starting on verse 12. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, son of Ger the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword, about a cubic long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us, and they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of the palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. Okay, so, yep, I'm actually reading this out of a physical Bible because I didn't want to read it off the screen. I want you to know that this is actually, actually in there, guys. I'm not making it up. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment, but when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their lord fallen to the floor dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Syrah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. That, that was the reading of God's word, Woo! you guys. All right. You got me excited for a second when you almost said you were going to give the message. I wanted to see where you went with this. So, we are in a series on the book of Judges. Judges is in the Old Testament, and right from pretty close to the beginning of the Bible, God chooses a man and a woman, Abraham and Sarah, and says, you are the ones I'm choosing, I'm choosing, I'm going to choose your family. And their family became a nation. That was his chosen nation, the chosen people of God, the Israelites. And he says, I'm going to show the rest of the world how we're supposed to live through you. So this, this family becomes a nation, and the nation becomes enslaved, and God leads them from slavery into freedom, and they are moving into the promised land. And as they move into the promised land, God says, drive out people. 
drive them out so that this is the place where you are established, where you can do my ways, you can show the world what I'm like, you can live how I'm supposed to. And Judges is this time in which they are in between trying to establish themselves in the land, but it doesn't quite happen yet. Eventually, they'll get kings. I said, uh, at one point, I misspoke. I said, this covers 400 years. It's really like two to 300 years. The 400 years is like the time they started coming in, Joshua, till the time of kings. But this is kind of in between there. So there are no kings. Their leader is supposed to be God. They are seeking God, and, and that's what's supposed to happen. Now, next week... Or last week, I I shared, here's the cycle that's found in Judges. There's all these stories in Judges, and here's the cycle. The cycle is that um, there's peace in the land. They're following the Lord wholeheartedly as they wanted to, as they chose to, as they promised to. But then they start following all the other gods. They start uh, doing evil, just like the peoples all around them. And so God brings judgment, and usually the judgment is some king, some nation um, taking over in some, ask, some part of the region, some level of the Israelites, of God's people. And then the people, it's so bad, then they cry out. Often they cry out to the Lord. Sometimes they just cry out because it's so bad and so hard. And then God raises up a judge. When we're talking about a judge in the book of Judges, we're not talking about the robe and a case that's brought before him. It'd be probably better to say leader, deliverer. You know, that's, that's who comes. God raises up someone who delivers them. And then there is peace, and they're back to serving God wholeheartedly. And this is the cycle in Judges. Last week, we heard about Othniel. Othniel, the whole cycle came. He, 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 they were following the Lord wholeheartedly, then they weren't for a long period of time. They were, it, uh, judgment came, they were very uh, oppressed, they cried out. Othniel shows up, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, he delivers them from the foreign oppressors, and there's peace in the land for 40 years. Now, oftentimes there's quite a few judges and oftentimes the judges we don't get much information so for instance after the verse after what Aubrey just read is Judges uh, 631 and it says this after Ehud came Shamgar son of Anath who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad he too saved Israel that's it we don't get much we don't get much but there are six judges that we get a whole story about. Othniel is one. We don't get much details about him, but we get the cycle. And now there's what Aubrey just read about Ehud. So let's look at verse 12. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. So here we are at the cycle again. Where we just left off, the verse before this was Othniel, they had peace for 40 years until he died. And then they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, we just read. And so God judged them, gave them over to Eglon for 18 years. Took possession of them, oppressed them. Verse 15, again the Israelites cried out to the Lord. And he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So you see the cycle happening again. It's happening in this story. Then, though this time, 
We get details. We get more of a story. And wow, those are some interesting details, right? The king of Eglon, he, or the king of Moab, Eglon, he's a very fat man that's ruling over them. They have to pay tribute. So the left-handed guy has got a dagger right here. He shows up. They show up with the tribute. They're going to give all this stuff, all this probably cattle and money, whatever resources, all of this stuff to present to him. And then he leaves, and he goes back, and he, when he gets partly out of the way to Gilgal, he turns around. Now, Gilgal was in Joshua. It's the place that before they even started into the promised land, they set aside time. They, they practiced Passover, which was remembering that God had saved them and delivered them. And they, they consecrated themselves. They said, we belong to the Lord. We are going to set our parts. We, we are going to live for the Lord. That's what they did at Gilgal. But then Gilgal shows up in Judges, and in Judges it shows up because the angel of the Lord came at Gilgal and brought them down to say, you're following all the other gods. You're not following the ways of the Lord. You're doing evil. That's what's happening. That's what's ha so that's Gilgal. So he gets to Gilgal. There's images there. So at the place that was supposed to be the place that was God's people, that belonged to God's people, where it was set apart for the, for the Lord, where they set themselves, instead there's idols there now. And he gets to those, sees those images, and he turns around, and he goes back, and he says, I got a message for the king, a private, a secret message. Now, the king must have thought, oh, this sounds like a bribe. This sounds good. You know, like, I will see him. Send him in. So he goes in, gets the dagger, or he says, you know, Here's, I got a message from God for you. Bowels discharge, stuff up. Now, I like how we read this. And it's, you know, the bowels discharged, and he was relieving himself. Here's what's going on. He sneaks out, the, locks the door, sneaks out the porch. Meanwhile, the servants are there, and they're like, you know, bowels discharged. Do you smell that? <laughs> Until it, nothing happens, and nothing happens. And now they grow concerned, and now they come in. And they find him dead. And they're disoriented. They're discouraged. They take off. Meanwhile, Ahud's got back there and he has rallied the troops. Hey, he's, the, the Lord has delivered them into our hands and they come. He says, follow me. They follow him. And he goes and they win and they're no longer, after 18 years, they're no longer having most of their possessions stolen from them. They're no longer in a place where they can't walk freely. They're, none of that is true anymore because the Lord has delivered them and he used Ehud. Great story. How does this apply to us? How does this apply to you and to me right now? Should we talk about the importance of weight loss? I mean, I, I'm trying to, what, what about right now for us? Well, here's how I would suggest we look at stories in Judges. Look at the big picture. Look at what it meant to them at the time to follow God. And how might that apply to how we follow God? So, in the Old Testament, that there was this, I had just said it. They are supposed to, this is the command of the Lord. Drive out evil, drive out the enemies. And that was literal and military. And I've said before, there, there's a bunch about this that's, disturbing that I don't quite understand, but that was it. They're supposed to drive out evil, use military means, and they are supposed to follow the law, which is symbolized mostly in the Ten Commandments. 
right? They're supposed to serve God and God only, not have any other idols, not serve all the other gods. They're not supposed to murder except for, I guess, kings that are big and fat. They can, evidently that one's okay. I don't understand that one, but they, they're supposed to live this certain way. That's what they're supposed to do. And then other people who are living with all sorts of violence and, and um, just in ways that are destructive, they could see this is how we're supposed to live. That's it. So drive out evil. Obey God's command. Even though it's scary, use courage, drive out evil, and then love the Lord their God. Love the Lord their God with all their heart. And then do these things that help remember that and to love other people. There it is. Now, Get to Jesus, who really shows us what God's like. We, have, we are in the new covenant. He said he brought a new covenant. And part of that is a continuation. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are things that summed up how they were supposed to live in the Old Testament. But now we're into the New Testament. And in the New Testament, Jesus says not only that, a new command I give you. Not just love your neighbor as yourself. As I have loved you, you need to love one another. Not just as you'd like to be treated. I have loved you without getting anything in return. I have loved you regardless of what you do. I have laid down my life for you. That's how you're supposed to love. And eventually he says with this command, you are to be my witnesses. You are to show and to share me with the world. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come on you or or another spot. Go into all the world. And as you go, as you go in life, make disciples of me, teaching them to obey everything I command you, which is mainly love God with everything you have and really love people. So here it is. Our command isn't go into the land and drive out enemies. And then establish the law and the sacrifices. Our command is love God with all you've got and go into the world with courage. Same thing, with courage. Go and love. Now with that as our framework, we're going to see how Ehud applies. And one of the things I'll just say right now, here is a theme. I want to keep bringing up what are the themes in Judges. Here's one of the themes of Judges. God tends to use people that we don't expect him to use, that they wouldn't have expected him to use. It is going to happen again and again and again. The people that we would not expect, that's who God uses. Verse 15, I read it before, let me read it again. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the, the Benjamite, the Israelites sent him with tribute, to Eglon, king of Moab. We learn two things about Ehud right here. That he's left-handed and that he brought tribute. And I think those things are connected. I don't think the reason that they said he's left-handed is because that's how he rode or that's how he pitched. Or, you know. I, don't even think, I don't even think it's just, oh, that's why they weren't expecting it because it's so unusual. I think and actually have read, that sometimes they referred to you as left-handed just to say you couldn't use your right hand because you were crippled. Or So let's think about it. He, he brought tribute. So he brings tribute. Who, who would the king and his guards feel comfortable having bring tribute to them? Who would pass their security measures? Maybe someone who's 
hand was cut off. Remember, first chapter of Judges, big thumbs, big toes, cut off. It is possible that they, they say, hey, I know. Maybe, we'll, maybe even, maybe even Ehud was like kind of a, a, kind of a powerful or a leader or some sort. Like, I know what we can do. We can make him bring it. But we'll make sure he's no threat to us. We'll cut off his hand. And so here he comes. He's just got his left hand. Now, I'm speculating on the hand cut off thing. But I feel pretty strongly that it's probably, he, it's not just that he had a stronger left hand than a right hand, but that he literally couldn't use his right hand. And so he is the one who seems unlikely to pose any threat. Let him bring the tribute. And so he comes in humiliation. Humiliation because for 18 years, they've had to take their best and give it away, and there's nothing they can do about it. The whole thing is set up to just say, like, yep, you. So here he is. Can't use the right hand, and he comes in. What can he do? What can a guy who can't use his right hand, what can a guy whose whole people have been subject for 18 years and nothing's changed... The, the limitation, there's nothing he can do. But instead of focusing on his limitations, on what he can't do, on what he doesn't have, Ehud says, what can I do? How can I bring about what God said we should do? And with courage, he acts it out. Now, how many of us are too old or too young or made this mistake, or have this going on in our family dynamics, or have too much going on, or have not enough going for me, or nobody will listen. All these reasons in our circumstances, in our characteristics that say, I can't do it. There's nothing I could do about that. I can't do it. And Ehud didn't let what he couldn't do, what he didn't have, who he wasn't, what mistakes have been made by others, by himself. He didn't let that limit what he would do for God. Two more verses I want to read from the story. Verse 27, when he arrived there, so this is he arrived outside, he had already killed the king. When he arrived to the certain spot, safe, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered them, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan. Anyway, he says, follow me, for it's the Lord that's doing it. Ehud recognized all along that if things were going to work, if they were going to be set free, if, if God's purposes were going to be accomplished, then God had to be the one who empowered it to happen. But he had confidence that because God had promised it, God would bring it about. And so he says, I'm going to go for it. I know what I can't do. I know the circumstances are all bad and that's what's going on around me. But I'm going to focus on what I can do. I'm going to focus on how I can follow the Lord. And so he follows the Lord. And when, as he's following the Lord, he tells other people, follow me. And they follow him. So it reminds me of in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul saying, follow me even as I follow Christ. I'm following Jesus, his ways, 
So you can follow me because that's what I'm doing. I'm following him. And again, in a letter to Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, this is what God told me. He says, in that my power, God says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so then Paul says, when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Because when I'm strong, then I think, it's me. It's my abilities. I'm accomplishing it. But when I realize I can't do this without God, that's when God's strength shows up. That's what's going on here with Ehud. And so I wonder how we could apply this. I think about what I've heard a lot in the last few weeks. I've heard about Amy, who is, hasn't been here since the pandemic broke out. Health, health vulnerabilities, and so has to do extra caution to not be out. But on Facebook, she challenged a certain kind of, can we do this kind of Bible reading thing where we read through the Bible? And I am hearing from people who, because she challenged, put it out there, are saying, I'm reading the Bible for the first time. Or I'm reading the Bible and understanding things I've never understood before. The focus isn't on what Amy could not do. It's how can we follow the Lord together? And she says, I'm doing this, follow me, and then other people follow as well. I'm thinking, because of impeachment kind of stuff, and I'm a history guy, so in the, the impeachment proceedings of Richard Nixon, there were multiple people who were part of the Watergate break-in. His aides, his, his certain people connected to Richard Nixon, and one of them was Chuck Colson. And Chuck Colson eventually, two things eventually after all this was planned, he got convicted of a crime and sent to prison. And he became, he, he already kind of was a Christian in, in showing up for church, or in, but he became an actual follower of Jesus. And so he started a prison ministry that for decades has been impacting hundreds and thousands of people. What would be a very bad circumstance turned into something that became a very good outcome of what God wants to see, which is his love, his word, the person of Jesus shared everywhere with everyone. One of my friends who went to college, who I went to college with and we were in each other's weddings, he had a family friend who was, was imprisoned. They... There are many, there's all kinds of evidence that said she shouldn't have been imprisoned. And in an appeals process, eventually she was released, but it took more than a year. She has kids, she has a husband, she's in prison. And what could easily be like, why would you do this to me, God? Or I give up on you, God, or there's nothing to do with you, God. She saw it as God has me here for a reason, and it there's no other way I would have been building relationships and sharing Jesus with these people I'm in prison with. The circumstances she was in were, were awful, but she used them to do the purposes of Jesus. And thinking about another friend from college, Luke. Luke was, Luke was shorter than me, like maybe the shortest person on campus. Uh, he was a wrestler. He was just full of joy, um, sometimes 
a little socially awkward, not all the time, but sometimes. And I remember that God used him to teach me a lot. Uh, one time we went on a, on a skiing trip, so there's a, a huge, like 150, 200 uh, youth group, FCA youth group in Nebraska, and through certain connections, some of us college kids from Central got asked to come and to like lead ministry time. So we'd go skiing in Colorado, and then at night, we would lead the ministry time. And Luke and I and Camille and some of my friends, we were all uh, part of that. And do you remember, so skiing, like Camille learned to walk, and then I think like the next week learned to ski is what it feels like to me. Anyway, she's a, she's a good skier. So I remember there's like Mark Stick, his nickname was Stick, so he's taller and lankier than me, and then there's me, and then there's Luke, and there's a few of my friends. And so the first few times down the hill, I'm going, one of my kids once was watching me ski and, and kind of looking at, at Camille, who's sitting on the hill, and, she, and she, he says, Dad skis with a lot of flair. And I thought, that is a really nice way. Just change one letter or sound, and instead of flail, you get flare. Flare sounds better. Anyway, so I'm not a good skier, so she would, she would like wait for me to fall down, then she ski down, and then after a couple times down the hill, she skied down, and she's like, you know, I'm going to go to the Black Diamonds. You know, she just took off with the Black Diamonds. Said, that is fine. I will be with Stick and with Luke. So Stick, he's kind of lumbering. Like, if anyone's seen the ski sport goofy movies, that was Stick and I. And there is, I saw the ski marks going for Stick, and they end at a tree, one here and one here. It wasn't as bad. I mean, he had slowed down enough that he wasn't seriously injured, but that was him. And then the opposite was Luke. Luke just never went side to side. He just went straight down because he didn't know what else to do. It was like a snowball. That, would, that was Luke. We got back at night. I was the one who got to give a talk. Here's what I noticed, though. All the kids went to Luke. All the kids. He had connections. But when the kids were crying, they were crying to Luke. One of my friends was a year younger than me. We went to live in a house at college. He was going to take, um, went to live in a dorm, and his goal was that the guys on his floor, he was going to bring Jesus to Luke also lived on that floor. And Luke went around. Hey, guys, I'm going to do a, a prayer night on Wednesday. You could come to my room and you could pray anything you want. We pray for you. You could pray out loud to him. You could come. And I mean, my friend was mortified. He is trying to like casually build relationships with people so that then they can know. And this is, just feels so awkward and in your face. And, but eventually he said, you know, he just felt like he was supposed to show up. He thought, oh, if people see me going to this, it's, they're going to think I'm like this obnoxious Jesus follower that, and it's going to ruin my ability to actually bring him to Jesus. So he walks into the room and there's Luke and two stud football players that he would have never guessed in a million years are there. Just ready to pray. And they kept showing up to pray. I was a basketball player at Central. We shared the room with the wrestlers. Wrestlers during wrestling season are not pleasant people. They, they cut, because they don't eat. They cut weight, you know. So they, I mean, I just remember, like, I didn't like wrestlers, only during wrestling season. I liked them not, but during wrestling season, I just didn't, they walk around naked, coming in out of the steam room, and they're just always grumpy. 
And there was this one wrestler, Luke was a wrestler, but there was this one wrestler who he was just, he looked tough. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he just at times just took wood and just ate it. You know, that's just what he, he just looked tough. He was kind of scared me. Now, believe it or not, I was a little more peppy. I was probably a lot more peppy in college than I am now. So when I walked around, you know, I'd be like, hey, you know, everybody was my friend. I, I mean, probably lots of people didn't like me, but I didn't care. I was just pretended everybody was like, hey, how you doing? You know, so I would see this guy. We, for some reason, there was a, a semester where we would just keep crossing. So I remember this sort of progression of like seeing him being like, hey, how you doing? And he didn't, he didn't acknowledge me. I mean, he looked at me and kept walking. So the next time by, I was like, what's up? You know, try, try something a little different. Right? You know, what's up? What's up? nothing. I still had to smile. So then it was just like, you know, kind of one of these, like, but nothing. So finally, when I would see him and we would cross, I would just be like, hey, you know, kind of like this. Because this guy scared me. I mean, very few scared me. He scared me. I remember walking into the locker room. I remember walking into the locker room, and there were two people in the locker room. It's just an odd time when I did. It was this guy, and it was Luke. This guy was just crying. This guy that I was scared of. This guy, there's no way I would talk to Jesus. I didn't even want to, I couldn't even talk to him. And he is just like heaving, crying as Luke has his hand on him. Luke just said, I'm available. And he just changed people. God just changed people through him. He just ministered to people and loved people and gathered people. He just did. And me in college didn't think he was like, might be, might not always say the right thing or do the right thing, but he did it. He did it for Jesus. So in the midst of our difficult circumstances, in the midst of what we're not, God can still use us. How about this? One more story. So a pastor, this is a couple decades ago, had many things going well in life. Written books, were getting asked to speak at conferences, pastored a little church either in Wyoming or Montana so we could live in the mountains, but would still get flown places to speak. There's one church that would fly him there up to once a month just to speak to their church, pay him a lot, back and forth. Lots of money in the bank. And he had one thing that wasn't going for him, though. One of his sons got introduced to drugs at a young age, young teenage, and would just battle addiction off and on. He eventually was getting clean, living with them. And then around Christmas or New Year's time, he went out and evidently took drugs and then mixed a cocktail of drugs that you shouldn't mix. And when he got home in this not a good state, it appears he was playing Russian roulette in his room. And he shot himself in the head. And his dad found him in the morning in a pool of blood. So they fly back to their original home down south, stay with people. They do not go to church for eight, nine, ten weeks. 
because not because he had given up on God, he still believed in God, he still trusted God, he just he had nothing and just didn't even know how to be around people. About eight or nine or ten weeks, he gets called from that one church that would fly him in. Say, hey, our whole staff, our whole staff is, is away at something. And we've got a guest speaker, but we want someone that the church is familiar with. Could you just make announcements? Could you just make announcements? You know what? They've been so supportive of me, good to me. I'm going to do it. So he goes, makes the announcements, a couple services. At the end of one of the services, he gets up and says, now there's prayer teams down there, and he walks off. He's not meaning to be on the prayer team. He was just standing there watching what was happening. And he sees a woman come up with a young adult whose face you cannot recognize anything about their face. And as she comes forward, she, the woman, shares that her son had tried to kill himself and shot himself in the face but survived it. It was on procedure number four. Doesn't feel like life's worth living doesn't feel like there's any purpose. And this person who lost his son to shooting himself just immediately knew what he was supposed to pray. And he said, you know what? My son shot himself however many weeks ago. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I should have never brought it. I didn't, I didn't know you were that pastor. He said, no, 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 no. God designed this. He brought you here for a reason. And he started praying over him. And he said it was like electricity was flowing into him. And he started praying over the mom. You're not a bad mom. You're not a, it was not your fault. Just praying, she's weeping, weeping. You have a, God has a purpose for your life for you. And he's praying these things. And he walked away. And I am told by people who've lost children, you, you don't ever recover. You never, it never goes away. There's like a cloud that kind of stays. But you can still live. And you can still make a difference. And you can still love, give and receive love. Even in bad circumstances. Even with what you don't have anymore. Even if you're in your sadness and hurt, you can do it. And so now I think about all of us. What are the circumstances that we focus on that say to us, this is what I can't do. This is why I can't. This is why it won't work. It could be that those very circumstances are how God's positioning to use you. But it certainly is that God is bigger than the circumstances. And God can use you and wants to use you and will use you. Will you let him? Have the worship team come up as we pray. Hmm. Lord, we want to acknowledge this morning that we office, often focus on what is hard, on what is overwhelming, on the reasons we're not good enough or what we don't have or who we aren't, rather than focusing on your promises and your power that can be made perfect in our weakness. On your goodness, on your love and compassion, on your ability to break down barriers.
And so this morning, we want to offer ourselves to you again. We want to say, here am I, send me. I pray that in circumstances that seem like um, there's nothing good about them, that you would flip that and you would use even those very circumstances we find ourselves in to bring your goodness to others, to help us to know you better and trust you more as we operate with courage, as we seek to follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.